Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Mark, and it is uh, here in your printed liturgy. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles... Those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, open our ears that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us. May we hear things this morning that help us understand how it is that you intend for human beings uh, to treat each other. How it is that you intend for human beings to flourish And and may we be so transformed by your Holy Spirit that we might find ourselves in the week that comes uh, doing things that we're not capable of doing on our own. Loving people that we aren't able to love on our own. Forgiving people that uh, we haven't been able to forgive before. Accepting forgiveness graciously when we haven't been able to accept it before. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, the text in front of us here, I just read to you from Mark's gospel. For some of us who grew up in the church, it's a familiar story. Maybe for others of you, it's not so familiar, and that's fine. Um, But I would dare to suggest that even if you haven't been familiar with this story from the Bible before, there's a plot line in it. Uh, that is probably familiar to you. Um, It's a plot line that is uh, embedded in the human condition, if you will. Uh, You see it in great novels. You see it in your daily life. You see it play out in your neighborhood. You see it in the political arena. Um, Who in this room hasn't been at one time or another James or John at some point. 
who in this room hasn't wanted to, to name drop our connections maybe? You know, I know so-and-so, and, uh, and we do that, of course, in order to seem more important than we are. I mean, sometimes it's innocuous, right? I mean, when I was young and I could go out late at night, a friend who's a DJ and, you know, for that one night I was that guy who could walk up to the line and say, I'm on the list. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Bob Reed, there's a time in my life when at 2 a.m. I was at a club because my friend was DJing and I walk up and I, you know, there's a long line wrapped around the building and I said, I'm on the list. And I I still dress like I do at khakis and this, you know, that guy's not on the list. Oh, wait a minute. He is on the list. Okay, so that's innocuous, or at least, but most of the time when we want to name drop, it's not so innocuous. And, and, And which one of us hasn't at some time been frustrated because we sense that a person who we thought was a friend free of charge, I just, by the way, quoted a title of a Miroslav Volf book, Free of Charge. Uh, that's my little commercial that Miroslav Volf is coming next week. Don't forget to get your tickets. But I do think it's such an apt phrase, and of course he takes it from scripture. Our relationships with each other, our giving, the body of Christ is supposed to be free of charge. Who, who in this room hasn't thought that we had a friendship that was free of charge. And actually one day we realize that it's actually quite contractual. Somehow we get a, a clear message in body language or actual words where we realize that our relationship isn't based on, on grace and self-giving love, but actually... Um, it's expected that we perform in a certain way. In a certain way in order to live up to the standards of our friend or something like that. And maybe they do all kinds of things and expect something in return. And if we don't give it in return in the way that they want it, they find ways to signal perhaps to our mutual friends how selfish we really are make us out to be villains. Yes, we've seen this plot line before. We've at times been James and John, and we have at times been the other ten people who are mad at James and John. (laughs) We've at times been victimized by the way the dynamic on display here can corrupt friendships with the misuse of power. Now, in the immediate context of this passage in Mark, you know, Jesus contrasts sharply, in the sharpest way possible, the difference between how relationships are meant to work and will work by the power of the Spirit in his coming kingdom. He contrasts that sharply with the way that they work in the Roman world At that time, you know, Jesus says, the Gentiles, when they give you something, they want power over you. 
That's what that whole language is about there. Uh, They want to be recognized as a benefactor. And they want you to do something. They want you to be beholden to them um, because they have been generous with you. That, of course, is a patron-client relationship, Lord Vassal relationship. I've joked before that that's what you see in the movie The Godfather. It's true. That's where it comes from. Um, That's what Jesus is contrasting here. He's saying that's not the way that human beings are meant to be together. God has designed human beings to be more fully human when we turn from holding power over others to serve them with self-giving love. That's what it looks... You won't find that in commercials. (laughs) You won't find it in the halls of power in Washington, D.C. You will often not find it in academia. You find it in the kingdom of God. You find it in relationship to the one who says and who is the one who came to serve and not to be served. You find it in that cruciform pattern of, as Caleb put it several weeks ago, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, walking in the footsteps of the one who as Paul put it in Philippians, did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to or grasped or exploited or used to his own advantage, emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. This pattern of relating to each other is so, it's so prevalent in the New Testament that it's easy to miss. But if you look at all the relationships that are going on in the New Testament church that Paul often writes to or Peter writes to or whatnot, you see over and over again that this cruciform pattern, this, this um, thing that we do imperfectly, but we always come back to it, um, of, of, of wanting to walk in Jesus' footsteps and to, to see ourselves as by the Spirit being made able to be those who have come not to be served, but to serve. Again, just to say it again, God has designed human beings to be most fully human when we turn from holding power over others and serve them in self-giving love. But um, you know, here's the problem with a passage like this. is We, we come to it and we uh, very quickly and very readily will shake our heads, yes, Oh my goodness, wow, if I'd been the other ten disciples, I'd have been ticked off too, right? Well, who knows exactly why they were ticked off, by the way? Um, but, but we read this and we think James and John, and we get ready to wag our fingers at them, right? You guys, come on. And then we understand what's going on in the cultural setting, and we check these boxes, and we say, okay, well... That's not how people should behave. And, um, but then the reality, I was discussing this briefly with a friend last night. Um, the thing is, is then, then we walk away from this passage and, and we think we've checked the boxes and we understand what's being meant by it. But we don't really think, most of us, I, I, I fear, 
we don't really think that we are the people that hold power, right? Like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not a, a powerful person. I don't have a lot of money. I, I don't have fame. I, I haven't been elected to office. So whatever, right? Like, you know, this passage, we think, we read it, and we go, people should not behave that way. And then it's really easy to see people behaving that way and say, oh, those people should not be behaving that way, Right? But it's very difficult for many of us to see that this passage is directed at us. And it is really directed toward all people. Um, The point we should be taking from this passage is to acknowledge that each of us, you and me, as fallen human beings, we absolutely have a propensity to corrupt our relationships with abuses of power. We just absolutely do. It's part of the human condition. So I want to offer just a couple or three examples here of relationships that we should be paying very close attention to because they're the kind of relationships that are are really easy to corrupt with power or with abuse of power. The first one I want to point out is... um, Parents with children. Every single day, we should be asking God to help us determine if we are making our children feel safe or if we are using our power to keep them off balance or sending them signals that our love in the end is really conditional. Now, Please don't misunderstand me. As a parent, you have the responsibility of setting the boundaries, raising your children to know the Lord, and correcting them when they are wrong. Okay? Full stop. Well, not quite. Semicolon. Um, Here's the thing. You have that responsibility, but how do you hold it? How do you hold that power? It is so easy to make a child be a certain way, crush a child's spirit, um, to do the opposite of making them feel safe. So easy to do that. You have so much more power than you realize that you have. I was thinking about that when we were singing the old hymn this morning. Um, Leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarm. There was some, I was with some parents this week at a luncheon. And uh, we were talking about our kids and just how we so desperately want our homes to be that space where the child feels safe and secure from all alarm. Well, that can only happen if we recognize that we have been given a great deal of power. And how we hold that power makes all the difference in the world. Do we hold it like Jesus held it? Or do we hold it in a way that 
sets us up to make ourselves almost in a sense, well, I've, I've, I've heard people say before that, uh, you know, they spend a great deal of time in therapy um, and, and I've, someone in here is going to think, oh, you're thinking of me, but um, me too, and there are a few other people, so don't imagine that I have you in mind. A great deal of time in therapy just uh, saying, okay, uh, my parent is not God, but Jesus is God. <laughs> um, so this is what we're talking about here, is that we have this so much power in our relationship with our kids that we can easily make it seem as if we're the God voice in the room and not pointing them toward the gospel. So that's one category, um, parents with children. Here's another example that I've seen at play in my life. And I've been on both ends of this, by the way, at different times. And here's the dynamic. Uh, I think you'll, again, I think you'll recognize this as a, a plot line that you've seen before. Sometimes in friendships, a person may keep his or her friend or friends off balance by being quick to indicate verbally or through actions that they really see themselves as the fundamentally more mature person in the relationship, refusing to welcome the contributions of the other or acknowledge that they add value to the friendship. Um, if, if that is a dynamic that's at play in any of our friendships, it's, it's really a dynamic that um, makes it very difficult to live into this vision of uh, mutual self-giving love given and received that Christ is portraying here as the way that human beings are designed to live, Right? And so, you know, there have been times in my life when I've, I've been in a friendship with someone and uh, I can just tell that because of the nature of it, I'm a pastor, uh, I'm somebody that I went, to, I went to seminary and I'm supposed to know a lot about the Bible and whatnot, and I can just tell that uh, the, di- the, the dynamic, the power dynamic in the friendship is such that it's, it's turning out that this person feels like I'm really fundamentally the more important person in the friendship. And... Very quickly, what I try to do, if God gives me the eyes to see it and the, mer- and the power of the Spirit to shift the dynamic, is I try to, at that point, stop and, st- and, and say something that makes it clear that, like all human relationships, there's reciprocity going on. I'm being encouraged. I'm, being, uh, I'm learning things from this other person that I wouldn't ordinarily learn. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about, is it? It's very easy to read this passage and think this doesn't apply to me, but the way that power flows in relationships is such, is such that it's really easy to, for things to go off kilter and for power to corrupt relationships that are supposed to be free of charge. And then the, the final category that I want to just you know, maybe tickle your imagination, imaginations uh, a little bit here uh, around is um, this, this problem that we have as human beings where we misunderstand how, how forgiveness is supposed to be given and how forgiveness is supposed to be received. Um, 
One of the ways that we can withhold, uh, or rather, uh, one of the ways that we can not hold power in a cruciform way and hold power in an egotistical way or egocentric way is, um, or, or prideful way is to uh, withhold forgiveness from people. Withhold forgiveness from people. Um, or, um, more subtly, it can be in the way that we actually do forgive people, but we forgive them in a way that kind of keeps us as the ones with the power in it. I'm just going to quote Rowan Williams here because I think his words on this are, are just so um, to the point, lovely. Here's Williams. It is a gross distortion of forgiveness that sees it as a sort of claim of power over the other. Being a patron or benefactor towards someone less secure. We should rather think of those extraordinary words in the prophecy of Hosea about the mercy of God. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? For I am God and not a mortal. To forgive is to share in the helplessness of God who cannot turn from God's own nature. Not to forgive would be for God a wound in the divine life itself. Not power, but the powerlessness of the God whose nature is love is what is shown in the act of forgiving. The believer rooted in Christ shares that powerlessness, and the deeper the roots go, the less possible it is not to forgive. Well, those are just three areas that um, I hope might cause you to think that when you read this passage and you think, okay, well, these words are meant for people that are not like me because I'm not really a person that has power. Well, we are all people who have power, and we're all people who hold power in the wrong way. Uh, That's what it's like to be a sinful human being. And we all need to be drawn in to Christ's uh, self-giving love so that we can, in fact, live into this vision what human beings are made for. God has designed human beings to be most fully human when we turn from holding power over others and serve them in self-giving love. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may this be more and more the kind of people who we are becoming in Christ Jesus. Amen.